If you could turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 34, that's page 75 in the Pew Bible. Those of you on the live stream, if you could grab your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, and we are going to hear from God's Word for one final time in this series on the book of on knowing God in the desert from the book of Exodus. As you're finding that, I'll ask you this. This summer, did you get a little bit of sun? Did you get a chance to go to the beach? It does get a little bit hot here in Columbia. Um, and I'll tell you this. Uh, we had an opportunity to, to go to the beach, actually on Lake Michigan. And I didn't get a suntan. I got a really awesome sunburn. Uh, but, I, but it's great to be out in the sun, especially during the summer months. But I wonder, I wonder if you've ever thought about what Moses experienced after he went up on the mountain with God. Because he came down with a glory tan. He came down with something that's really incredible. He was shining with the glory of God. There is so much, friends, in this passage for us. Exodus chapter 34 will start in verse 29 and go to verse 35. This is the word of God. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony, by the way, that's the Ten Commandments, in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and to Aaron and to all the leaders of the congregation, and they returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near. And he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining. The NIV uses the word radiant throughout the passage. His face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let us pray. Oh God, as we have already heard in so many ways this morning, you are a God of glory. And when we come into your presence through the blood of Jesus and the power of your spirit, we too shine with glory. We pray, Lord God, that you would be our teacher now. Show us, Lord, what this passage means and what it means for us so that we can be those who go and reflect your glory to a lost and hurting world. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Four points this morning. Encountered glory, veiled glory, 
surpassing glory and transforming glory. First of all, encountered glory. I imagine that we're all familiar with the word afterglow, which means the great feeling you have after a good experience. For example, we might talk about basking in the afterglow of a great sports victory. Think about how athletes feel after they win the Super Bowl and the confetti's coming down. They are in the afterglow of that moment. But did you know that afterglow also has a scientific meaning? Let me read to you what the word afterglow means scientifically. Here it is. An afterglow is a broad arch of whitish or pinkish sunlight in the sky that is scattered by fine particles like dust suspended in the atmosphere. It is caused by the backscattering of red sunlight by aerosols and fine dust particles low in the atmosphere that gets refracted and scattered through the Earth's atmosphere. Translation, afterglow is the scientific word for sunset. Every time... You see a sunset, you are experiencing what scientists call an afterglow. The thing, the object that emits the glory, the sun, has now left our sight. And yet the radiance of that, the beauty of that, the power of that continues to reach out to us and we experience its beauty and its power. I think we're going to put a a picture of a sunset on the screen. Look how beautiful that is. Look at the amazing array of colors, the pinks, the oranges, the reds, the yellows. God is such a great artist, isn't he? And every single time God gives us a sunset, it is the afterglow of the glory of the sun, which is really just a small, small picture of the glory that God has Moses, in our passage, goes to be with God. He goes up on the mountain. This is after the golden calf. This is after he took the first set of Ten Commandments and smashed it down after God's people rebelled. God's people repent. God brings judgment. But Moses goes back to the mountain to be with God again. God once again gives him the law inscribed on two tablets And Moses, after spending this time, 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, Moses goes down the mountain. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Because usually when we get a tan, we know it. Or we get a sunburn, we definitely know it. But Moses goes down, and his face is shining. The NIV says his face is radiant, but he doesn't know it. And he comes down the mountain, and people, it says, the text says, they're afraid. They're afraid. It's almost like Moses is radioactive right now. Like, we can't get near him. His face is shining. And the text tells us that he would put a veil over his face because the people were even afraid. They were scared. What is is going on with this man? Just one thing I want to say here on encountered glory. When we truly come before the Lord, When we are truly in His presence, when we come with our heart, you know, we can always come, just go through the motions, come and and, and do the right things and say the right things and, and, you know, put on our church clothes or or whatever and, and feel like we've been in God's presence, but that's not what it means to be in God's presence. It's to come. That stuff's all external. It's that we come with our heart. We come with our spirit. We worship Him. 
And when we have a true encounter with God, we're going to radiate. There's going to be glory. Because you can't get in this God's presence and not experience His glory. Now we in the New Testament experience, in the New Testament times, experience it differently than Moses. But this is a beautiful picture of what happens when we are in the presence of God. God's glory fills us. We leave with a glory afterglow because God is so glorious in who He is. Veiled glory. It's interesting that Moses would put the veil on. You know, he's got this glory tan, which we have to just pause for a second and say, wouldn't it have been cool to just see that? Most scholars, by the way, they think it was a, a visible glow coming off of his face. That's what most, I mean, we don't know for sure. We don't have a video of it. But the scholars say that Moses had some kind of a glow emanating from his face. And yet, he would put a veil. He'd put a veil over his face. It's, it's quite interesting. And it says that the people were afraid to come near him. They, they don't know what to do with this glory. And the Apostle Paul is going to tell us later in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that that veil is kind of like the darkness that any person has before God opens their eyes spiritually. God has to open our eyes spiritually or we can't handle the glory or we can't even see the glory. So Moses, it's so interesting. Now, it, it seems as though there's a time where it seems as though he doesn't have the veil on when he first gives the message to all the people. Maybe that was to show that he'd really been with God. But then he puts the veil back on. Now he takes it off when he goes to be with God. And then he comes out and he puts the veil back on. And it's interesting, Paul's going to say this. It's almost like from the second Moses would leave the tent of meeting with God, because that's where he would meet with God. And the, and the Bible says the cloud would come over the tent and the people would worship when the cloud was over the tent. But it's, it's almost like from the second Moses left, as great as that glory was, it started to fade. And sort of like a battery, he had to go get plugged back in. He had to go back to the tent of meeting and get more glory from God. It was veiled glory. Let's jump right to surpassing glory. I still remember my first cell phone. Can you remember the first cell phone you ever got? Isn't that just kind of one of those things that a lot of us remember? Um, I'm not old enough to have a phone that was in a bag or something like that. But I do remember my first phone. It was a Nokia. I'm assuming that company's still around. It was, it was a Nokia phone. And I still remember punching all the numbers in manually myself. You know, I thought it was so cool to have contacts. It had one game. I'm talking to all the kids right now. It had one game. It was called Snake. Okay, I could move this little snake in four directions with my phone. That was the game we had. And, and now, um, now the phones are so amazing. Now you could take your phone with a charger, lock yourself in a closet for a year, and you could still live your life, right? Because our phones, they do everything for us now. You need some food too, some, a few other things. But our phones do everything. But I remember the first phone I ever had. I had this Nokia, this little backlit screen. I remember hesitating on texting people because, you know, you had to remember how many text minutes you had because if you texted too much, you're going to get a bigger bill. And it was really helpful to know if you were calling someone who had the same wireless carrier because then it was free. 
and you wouldn't get the minutes and get a giant phone bill. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, compares the old covenant, which God instituted under Moses, with the new covenant that is fulfilled in Christ. And he says that the old covenant, it had a kind of glory. You know, that first cell phone I had, I mean, it was cool. It was great for its time. But the new covenant has such a surpassing glory that it's almost like the old covenant had no glory at all. And that's really kind of like what it's like to have a a brand new iPhone today. You can literally live your whole life on it compared to the first phone you ever owned. But the new covenant, friends, is that much better. It is surpassing glory. I want to read. I want to read to you what Paul says in this passage. You know, it's not every day you look at a passage of the Old Testament and you think to yourself, I wonder how one of the apostles would preach this text. I wonder how they would handle this text. We have it right here, friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Paul, directly interacting with our text, interprets it for us in light of Christ. We're going to have it on the screen in the New Living Version, which I recommend that, by the way, if, especially if you are someone that struggles to get in the Word of God, if you're someone that, that wrestles with, I read the Word sometimes, I don't understand the Word, I would recommend the New Living Translation. It's an excellent translation. Or you could have it next to you, while you're using your ESV or another translation. But this is what Paul says, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this about our story with Moses and his glory tan. He says this, The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory, that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. See what I said? Remember, it's almost like it would fade. As soon as he walked out, it would start to fade. Verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, just look at Moses' face, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious... How much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Church, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day... Whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yet even today, when they read Moses' writings, their 
hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Paul goes on. When some, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This is really amazing. We have the Apostle Paul himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reflecting directly on Exodus 34, reflecting directly on how Jesus is so much greater than Moses. And I'll tell you what is most surprising to me about what Paul does. We are used to, to thinking of ourselves like the Israelites, right? And, and we should. That's a good comparison. You know, the Israelites bow down to idols. We bow down to idols in our own lives. We know that, that really deep down, we're, we're just as rebellious as they were. We're just as in need of the grace of God as the Israelites were. So you would think that Paul, when he, was, when he goes to compare the two covenants, you would think he would compare us to the Israelites. And he would say something like, we, you, we too, we get afraid and we don't know what to do with the glory. But here's what's interesting. You read the passage. Paul is not comparing the church to the Israelites. Who is Paul comparing the church to? Look at the passage. To Moses. He's drawing a comparison between Moses and between the church. He's saying, church, you're not like Moses because you, we can be very bold. Moses would put a veil on, but we're not like Moses. And we, and we think to ourselves, Paul, hold on a second. I'm no Moses. Okay, Charlton Heston, maybe. But me, me, God, Moses, one of the three greatest figures of the Old Testament. You have Abraham, the founder of God's people. You have Moses, the greatest prophet. Deuteronomy 34.10 says, There has never arisen a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and David. These are the three great figures of the Old Testament. And yet, Paul would say to us, the new covenant, what we have, friends, in Jesus... When we experience the glory of God in Jesus, we're actually in a better place than Moses is. Because Moses would put a veil on. And the glory that Moses experienced, it would start to fade. So Paul does something interesting. You notice why Paul says Moses put the veil on? Paul says it was because the glory was fading. And, and, and he didn't want the, the people to see that the glory was fading. But Paul says... That in Jesus, the new covenant is so much better in Jesus that we can be very bold. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. We can be very bold. Listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Remember I said the NIV kept using the word radiant to describe Moses' face when he came down the mount. But it says this about Jesus. Not that he reflected the radiance. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, 
he sat down on the right hand of God. Let's end our time by thinking about the idea of transforming glory. Here's what Paul, I think, wants us to know. You know, I I thought about this. I said, if Paul was in this pulpit right now, and he was preaching the passage that we're looking at, what would Paul say? What would Paul say to the church about Exodus 34, about Moses' shining face? And then it hit me. I don't have to wonder what Paul would say. Paul says it right here. The application of the passage is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says that because we have this hope, because we have this confidence, we can be very bold. Friends, when's the the last time that you woke up in the morning or you got up from your time with the Lord and you said to yourself, I feel very bold. I feel bold. I I feel courageous. I am ready to go do the Lord's work. And perhaps one of the reasons we don't feel that way is because we might confuse boldness with arrogance, but boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is not the same thing. Courage is not arrogance. There is a time for courage. There is a time for boldness. And you think about what, what feeling did the Israelites have? What does the text tell us how they felt when they, they saw Moses' face? It says they were afraid. And yet, what does Paul tell us? What's the opposite of fear? Isn't it, isn't it courage? Isn't it boldness? And Paul says to us that the new covenant, Jesus is so much better. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is so much better that we can be the kind of people who are very bold. How can we be bold? Bold with God, bold with the world. We'll get to it in a second. But just notice this. Paul says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so much better than the ministry of the law. Moses came down. What did he give the people? He came down and he gave them the law. Was the law itself bad? No, it wasn't. It's just that God's people could never keep it. Jesus came down. What does Paul say Jesus has given us? He's given us the ministry of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us, who is so much greater. Jesus told us that the Spirit would lead us into all truth. And so Paul can say, I believe, does say right here in 2 Corinthians 3, church, here's how the shining face of Moses applies to you. We are called to be people who can be very bold. Very bold. Bold as we come to God's presence. Lord, I don't feel worthy before you today. I have these habitual sins I struggle with. I failed again as a parent. I got mad at my child again. I failed again at this thing over here. And we feel like, okay, God, I guess I've got to work my way back to you. I guess I've got to do 10 good deeds now to make up for this thing that I did again. And, and God says, no, no, that's not the gospel, my friend. The gospel is the message that Jesus has paid for our sins. And so now we can be very bold. We can come into his presence and say, Lord, thank you that I'm accepted in Jesus. Oh, Lord, purify me. Make me whole. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Make your law more and more written on my heart. You see, we can be very bold. Because the gospel is not the message that God helps those who help themselves. 
The gospel is the message that God went on a divine rescue mission for people that were completely lost, completely separated from him, had a veil put over our faces so we couldn't see the glory, we couldn't see the afterglow, even if it was right in front of our face, and made us alive and gave us a ministry even better than the Ten Commandments. Gave us a glory that's even better than the glory that Moses had because he's given us the Holy Spirit. We can be bold with others. Do you know that? I'll I'll be honest. I don't feel bold most days. I don't wake up out of bed and just feel like I'm ready to go transform the world for the Lord. But you know what Paul would say to me? He says, because we have this hope, we can be very bold. You know, most people in Columbia, South Carolina, the Bible Belt, if you ask them, how do you get to heaven? Do you know how most people are still going to answer that question? They are still going to answer that question, you get to heaven by being a good person. That's how you get to heaven. You're the kind of person that pays your taxes and does the right thing and follows the Ten Commandments and is a good citizen. That's how God is going to love me. And we know, friends, that that's not the gospel. The gospel is the message that we cannot keep God's law perfectly, but that Jesus has done it for us. And we need to be the kind of people who look out on our community and we say, yes, it's true that the South is is less Christian, whatever that means, than it used to be. But instead of letting that trouble us, does that ever excite us that there are people all around us that are just waiting to hear the name of Jesus. They're just waiting to hear about a glory that will never fade. They're just waiting to hear the news that will set them free, and we have the news. Therefore, Paul says to us, because we have this hope, we can be very bold. Perhaps, more than at any other time in this nation's history, if you came up to someone and said, what do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? we would probably hear an answer that is more unbiblical than maybe ever before. Jesus, yeah, he's the guy in the Bible, good person, taught some great things. Let me tell you about who Jesus really is. And let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. Friends, we can be very bold. Paul tells us. Since we have this hope, we can be very bold. We can be very bold in the presence of God, saying, Lord, I hesitate to even ask this. This seems like such a big prayer that you would do this thing in my church, that you would do this thing in my life, that you would do this thing in my neighborhood. But I'm going to be very bold. I'm going to ask the kind of prayers that if you were to answer them, there could be no other explanation about who did it other than you. Friends, we can be very bold with God and very bold with those around us. Because we have been given a ministry with so much more glory. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And did you notice what Paul said about what's happening with glory? Verse 18, by the way, you could have your devotionals in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 for, for the next year. And you wouldn't get everything out of that verse that's in that verse. But Paul says, he says, Christian, 
your glory is not diminishing like Moses. It's actually increasing. That's what Paul has said about it. He says it. He says he makes, it says we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So Moses would walk out of the tent and he'd put the veil on and the glory would start to fade. But Christian, your glory is increasing day by day as you are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. We have the glory that the world is looking for. Everybody wants glory. Everybody's looking for it. We're all drawn to it. We're all drawn to a sunset. We're all drawn to things that take our breath away. Everyone is looking for glory. And everyone wants an afterglow that not only doesn't go away, but actually grows as we become more like Jesus. So let me end with this. Sometimes in our tradition in the PCA, and the PCA has lots of strengths. I love our denomination. It's a great denomination. But we have strengths and we have weaknesses. And I think one of our weaknesses, and I'll include myself in this, is that sometimes we can make things overly complicated. I think we can because we love our theology, we love the Bible, and that's all, of course, that's a a good thing. But let me end by trying to make it as simple as I can for all of us, myself included. What does it mean to be very bold because we, we are ministers of the new covenant, because we've been given Jesus, because we've been given the Holy Spirit? Well, let me quote the kid's song. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Hide the glory of Christ under a bushel, under a veil? Hide the only news that can set sinners free under a bushel? Hide the gospel, which is the power of God, under a bushel? No. I am going to let it shine because... I am one who walks around with face unveiled, and unlike Moses, there is no veil over the face as, me, as one who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and therefore I can be very confident to take this glory to this world that needs it so bad. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for how great a Savior Jesus is. It's not the fault of Moses that he wasn't the savior of the world. Moses was a man like us. And so, Lord, we thank you for a glory that you've given us which will never fade away and is even growing. Help us by your power to be very bold in your presence and to others.